Hi, my name is Mandy Jackson Beverly, and I'm a bibliophile. Welcome to the Bookshop Podcast. If you're like me and love independent bookshops, buying books from human booksellers, listening to authors talk about their books, and learning about ancient books, you're in the perfect place. To help the show reach more people, please share with friends and family and on social media. And remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Your support is appreciated. You're listening to episode 159. K.J. Del Antonia is the author of The Chicken Sisters, a New York Times bestseller, a Reese Witherspoon book club pick, and a timely, humorous exploration of the same theme she has long focused on in her journalism, the importance of finding joy in our families, the challenge of figuring out what makes us happy, and the need to value the people in front of us more than the ones in our phones and laptops every single time. KJ wrote and edited the Motherload blog at the New York Times and is also the author of the viral essay, Why Didn't I Answer Your Email?, and the book, How to Be a Happier Parent. Her new novel, In Her Boots, is about the gap between the adults we think we have become, the child our mother will always see, and our horrible fear that our mother is right. Hi, KJ, and welcome to the show. It is great to be here. Thank you. It's good to have you here. Let's begin with learning about you, what sparked your interest in journalism, and your transition from writing nonfiction to fiction. Like so many of us, I grew up as a reader, uh, and I always just, I always wanted to be a writer, and I think that the nonfiction, the journalism side of it, seemed more approachable to me. You know, uh, authors of fiction seem like these magical beings that I I couldn't, um, couldn't possibly managed to, to become. And whereas nonfiction seemed like a learnable skill to me, I have since figured out that fiction writing is also a learnable skill, but nonfiction in particular seemed like, okay, like you can, you know, that's a job, like you do that. So I started out more in journalism, I suspect for that reason. And then of course, you had your success with the novel, The Chicken Sisters. What a great way to enter the world of fiction. Uh, that was pretty amazing. Yes. Yeah, congratulations on that success. It was wonderful. Thank you. I am sure our listeners would like to hear a synopsis of your new novel, In Her Boots, where the idea for the modern pioneer girl derived, and also the pseudonym for Maggie Strong. I have my own thoughts about this name. Okay, that'll be fun. Uh, So I have cleverly written a book that is really hard to synopsize. Is that a verb? Um, So this is continually uh, happening. So I like to think of this as the the story of the adult that we think we are and the uh, child our mothers will always see when they look at us and our terrible, terrible fear that our mothers are right. Um, But it is also the story of Rhett who has become this um, iconic influencer in the world of modern solo women's travel. She's done a lot of things, but in her public persona has always been um, under a pseudonym. She's, she's never, she never has to be in person as the person that she is in writing and on social media. So when it comes time for her to stop traveling and come home and take over the family farm, which is something she's always wanted to do. Her best friend also convinces her that she should take over this, this role that she, she, that she should really be herself in real life, which is how her best friend sees her. And she agrees. 
and they dress her up and she's going to be on the Today Show, which is a fantastic opportunity for any writer. But when she starts to step on the stage, she hears the voice of the other guest that day and it is her mother. And the one person she can't be herself in front of ever in her mind is her mother. So because she's written this under a pseudonym, when they say, which of you is the modern pioneer girl? She's able to say, she is. And she yanks her best friend out. And for um, reasons of her own, her best friend agree, you know, steps into this and, and does this. And it should be just this one-off silly choice prank thing that they kind of pull off together. And they are, have always been known for their, their stupid pranks. But when Rhett gets home to the farm, it develops that her mother really entirely controls whether she can take on her inheritance. And her mother doesn't think she's accomplished anything. Her mother is worried that she has never grown up. And her mother is way, way more impressed by the author of this book, who she thinks is Jasmine, than she is by Rhett in real life. And now we have this situation where there's nothing I I often read books and, you know, you read along and you're just yelling, just tell the truth or just, you know, tell them how you feel or just this or just this. But truly, there's no just. There's nothing she can do that's going to sort out the mess that she's made for herself. Yeah, that little twist is really fun. And within the book, you have another book, The Modern Pioneer Girl. So where did that come from? Well, I mean, I, I live on a farm, and so to some extent, I really love reading books about, and at some points, it was sort of more of a book about farming, but then, um, I, you know, I love memoirs, and I love reading, getting into someone's head and reading about their experience, but I'm also very well aware that that, that tends to be only one, you know, when you read Wild by Cheryl Strayed, you're only getting that one piece of her. When you read Eat, Pray, Love, my goodness, you're getting Elizabeth Gilbert from 30 years ago, poor, or 20 plus years ago. And, um, and then to be that, to, to become that person that you wrote about, like that's, that's you, but it's only part of you. Anyway, I'm, I'm sort of always deeply fascinated by that. And I'm also, I thought I was fascinated by the idea of the influencer who maybe sort of isn't who she presents online, but it turned out that what I'm really interested in is the person who is who she presents online, but how hard it must feel sometimes to live up to that. Yes, and that's something everyone faces on social media, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, It's a tricky situation. And I love the way you touch on this at the end. That was really sweet. And let's talk about the uh, pseudonym Maggie Strong, the author's name of the book within the book. So her name is Margaret and she's called Rhett and her mother's name is Margaret. And I, I love, I didn't really delve into it. There's, you know, drafts that exist in which I did, but I love that her mother named her after herself. I think that's just so um, charming (laughs) and, and so telling for these particular women. Um, And then, so when Rhett needs to come up with a, a pseudonym for the book, she, she goes with Margaret because that seems reasonable, but their actual family name is Smith. And, and she can't, you know, Maggie Smith, there's lots of Maggie Smiths or Margaret Smith. So she can't be that. So she chooses strong because, you know, it's, it's both a, a last name and a perfectly reasonable one, but also like, that's just what she wants to be. Um, and then the more she is part of that, the more Maggie Strong sort of becomes divorced from who she, she really is. And the more aspirational the whole thing becomes. Yeah, because it's almost as if her subconscious gave her the idea for the pseudonym to be Maggie Strong after her mother, because her mother is strong. See, your dog agrees. (laughs) As you mentioned earlier, you live on a farm. And from some of the stories I've read, it sounds like you're a bit of a pioneer girl yourself. 
What was your life like before you moved onto the farm? So, well, we moved to New Hampshire from Manhattan, from from New York, but I didn't, we've lived in two other houses besides this farm in in New Hampshire and sort of gotten uh, sort of deeper and deeper into the, well, we're going to be in the country. There might as well be some animals. And uh, well, there's a lot of room. There might as well be 20 horses, <laughs> which kind of where we are now. Um, yeah, I've, I've had a stretch of my life where I really was involved in the day-to-day operations of uh, our horse farm. And I still have a sort of partial I still have lots of chickens and we have those mini ponies are drawn straight from life. I don't get up and do horse chores every morning the way that I, I used to. We've sort of just transitioned. Somebody else does that now. Thank goodness. Cause that was a, that was a long few years. Yeah. That's a lot of mucking. There's a lot of mucking. Well, I love being able to integrate. I, I, I love a good farm memoir. You know, I love a good, like move to the city for the, the country from the city and screw up. I will read all of those. So I loved being able to integrate that, but I also loved being able to put in, you know, the, the, both the economic and physical reality of how hard the work is, which it really is. And, and, you know, we see it as sort of bucolic and it kind of is and mostly isn't. Yes, it's a lot of work, that's for sure. Now, In Her Boots deals with multiple family dynamics, Mike and Louisa, Rhett and Margaret, Margaret, her husband, and Aunt B, Rhett and Jasmine, and Jasmine and Zale. Do you see a common denominator within these relationships? Uh, the common denominator is that no one is their whole self in their relationship. And maybe it's not possible to be your whole self in a relationship. You know, maybe that's just a, an aspirational thing that we would all like to achieve to really be known and seen for every part of you. But um, these people are not, none of them are even close. You know, um, they're all from the daughter who's hiding something from her parents and then the, the young girl in the book to um, Rhett, who's hiding her entire, really her entire self from, from her mother to Jasmine, who's pretending to be something that she thinks is what her, her husband wants. And um, maybe it is. Jasmine finds herself, but we never quite see how that relationship maybe uh, plays out or evolves. Oh, and then Margaret, who also was trying to fit herself, but in a, you know, decades ago when that was something more, more important. But I think Margaret's situation, Margaret, the mother, um, is that she thought she could be her whole self with this man. And he, he turned out because of his mother to, you know, to have different expectations. So I get, I guess I get really, um, interested in how your family's expectations around you shape you and and how you have to to become either become that or not become that sort of depending on where you fit on a spectrum. And I can only speak for myself, but I've heard friends agree with me. Once you've had children, you're thinking, am I doing this right? Am I doing this like my mother? Oh God, I am my mother. (laughs) And some aspects of that are great and some aren't so good. But in looking back, because my kids are now 30 and 27, I did the best I could with the tools I had. 
I'm fascinated with the traits we pick up from our mothers, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers. Me too. Me too. And fathers. <laughs> I, have a, I keep getting asked, and, and this one's sort of why it's always mothers. And the truth is probably it's because my father is a more complicated relationship for me. So it's easier for me to go at it from the mother's side. Yep. We all have something, right? <laughs> There is one little part in the book, and it comes up again and again, and I just loved it. In fact, I find myself saying it now throughout the day. But whenever Rhett and Jasmine want to confirm an idea, they seal the deal by saying, quote, a family incantation we used whenever either of us needed a lift, calling on the women at the root of every female inner superhero. Laura, Zora, Frida, Gloria, Ruth, Beta, Ginsburg, go. How did this land on the page? I love it. Yeah, it's like Laura, Sora, Laura, yeah, Ruth, Bader, get go. It's it's a very feminist chant. Yes, it's a great cheer for women. Uh, that the chant just appeared. My best friend and I used to uh, re- reference, sort of semi-jokingly, mostly jokingly, our our joint superhero. We called her today's action woman. And we'd be like, what would today's action woman do? And mostly we were kidding and partly we weren't, especially as we got older and got into, you know, situations where we kind of, we'd love to have today's action woman, you know, bring, bring her on and have her teach us. So, but then the chant, I, I don't even know. It just kind of came. I thought Rhett has a abiding fascination with Laura Ingalls Wilder, which is kind of on the page and, 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 kind of in, you know, old, old drafts. She said, there's a whole bunch of Laura Ingalls Wilder books up there. Um, and I just, I, I love her. And then it, I was like, well, you know, but in, in, in truth, Laura's not a very modern, um, she's not going to help you very much in terms of what you do now and, and who would. And then it just kind of went from there, Zora and, and Frida and then Gloria Steinem and, and of course Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I, I don't know. It just came to me. I'd love to chant that with a friend though. I can really hear it in my head too. But it needs to be a t-shirt, a promo for the book. I'll be your first customer. <laughs> That's true. KJ, I would love to hear your publishing story from the first finished manuscript to landing an agent and a publishing deal. And your first published book was quite a few years ago, right? Uh, so I have an, a much older book called Reading with Babies, Toddlers, and Twos, which I wrote, co-wrote with Susan Straub, who is Emma Straub's mother, um, incidentally. So that's kind of funny. And Peter Straub's wife, Peter is. So, um, so we wrote that and she was the expert and I was the writer, really, um, at the time. She's much, she writes much more herself now as well. And questions of identity and stuff all went into, all went into that. That goes back to 06, and that was a strange situation in which to break into freelance writing, having this small book, um, which we made $6,000 between us on the advance for that, um, helped me to break into the freelance stuff because it allowed me to be like, I am the author of, and therefore I am an expert in this area. And just and also just kind of as proof, you can write a whole book, you ought to be able to write an article. So. So that happened. And then I worked in, in freelancing and journalism for a really long time. And then when I was with the New York Times, writing the book with parenting at its center seemed like the obvious next step. And that came out actually in 2018. And then I left the Times in the regular daily journalism job while that book was kind of in 
in the process. And I really wrote the Chicken Sisters in the interval between when that went to the publisher and when it actually became published. And then we sold it shortly afterwards. And were you able to keep the same agent from your earliest publishing all the way through to now? So my agent for nonfiction represents very little fiction. Um, So I always knew she probably wouldn't represent me, but I wrote the Chicken Sisters and I made it the absolute best. I felt like I was going to only have one shot that my, my weird, very specific to me problem was that I had a big name in nonfiction and particularly in journalism. So if I wanted to make this transition, people were going to like, I, I didn't have any question that people would read the manuscript, but if it wasn't good enough, I was probably only going to get that particular um, privilege once. So I worked with uh, Jenny Nash, who's a freelance book coach. Um, I worked really hard to get the Chicken Sisters draft in as good a shape as I could. And then I gave it to my nonfiction agent, knowing that she would probably say no and ready to go out with it. And she did, in fact, say, I don't, this is not my kind of fiction, but how about my colleague? So I ended up working with her colleague, um, Karen Carmetz Rudy, at the same agency, which is brilliant because it's sort of all under one. Uh, hat and I have Lori Adkemeyer, who's my nonfiction agent, to sort of fall back on if I either go back to nonfiction or just if we need another voice, she's always there for us. So it's worked out really well for me to be in the same agency. Yeah, I'm sure that's wonderful. Now, you are no stranger to the effort and money that goes into producing a podcast and how difficult it is sustaining a podcast when it doesn't bring in money. So tell us about Hashtag M Writing, how it came to be, your co-hosts, how it's morphed over the years, and how you see it developing. So it's, um, it's funny because Hashtag M Writing started, we started in, I think, 2017, and it started with myself and Jessica Leahy, uh, the author of The Gift of Failure and the Addiction and Inoculation. And we, at the time, were both parenting writers. And in fact, she was writing for me at the New York Times. And the obvious topic for a podcast, which we both wanted to do, would have been some form of parenting and some, um, you know, voice from the future reached back. And grabbed us by the necks and said, don't, don't do that. Um, do, do something. I was like, what is the one thing that we're still going to want to be talking about 10 years from now? And it probably wasn't, uh, you know, having 12 year olds since we weren't, I don't even know that we had 12 year old kids were even younger then. Um, so I was like, writing, that's the one thing. That's the one thing that we're going to keep wanting to talk about. And I was absolutely right. So we've gotten to you know, we, we've done our, our fair share of episodes about writing and parenting at the same time, but really we're focused on writing and the business of writing. And because we now write in really different genres, we you know can talk about all the, the different moving around that in, that entails. And then we added our third host, Serena Bowen, about two years, about two years in. And yeah, it's a weekly podcast. We've never missed a week. Um, we have 320 episodes or so now. Um, we roll with summer um, summer series the past couple of years where we've uh, done most of the work up front so that the summer can kind of run independently. But I always get really sad when my favorite podcasts go off the air for the summer. I'm like, but I still need you. So I'm, I'm happy that we don't haven't done that yet. Although, you know, we, we might at some point. But yeah, and we're supported by um, uh, Substack. Yeah. And how does Substack work? Substack is really meant for subscription emails. 
Uh, but they have a little arm of subscription podcast, and it kind of works like Patreon in that if you subscribe, it gets a little complicated for a podcast because you can subscribe to the podcast for free, but you can also subscribe and give us and give us money. And please do, because yeah, at some point I looked back and I was like, we've spent 10,000 bucks um, on making this, and that's probably not sustainable for us. Uh, but the things that the podcast gives us are very hard to quantify. So to reach out to our listeners and say, you know, will you help us with the production of this? And we will sort of, I, I don't know what our hourly rate is, but it definitely involves a little sense sign. Uh, it's very, you know, it's, it's very, <laughs> it's very low. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. As you know, we get a lot out of it in terms of sort of just, just elevates where we sit in the industry. We have something to share with other writers. We have something to um, offer readers. We have something when there's a, a writer that we would like to connect with, we have a, a great mechanism for reaching out and saying this would be a really fun talk. And then, you know, if we hit it off, we can maintain some sort of relationship. So I love that that we do it and I don't have any interest in stopping, but I'm also extremely grateful that we've found a way to be supported. That's wonderful. And I think you and I have actually had a few of the same guests on our podcast. One comes to mind, uh, the author of Bomb Shelter, her latest book, Mary Laura Philpott. She is such a sweetheart. She's fantastic. She's also one of my, our, one of our, our collective best friends, a friend of the podcast. I think she's been on three times. She actually, um, wrote for me at the New York Times back when she was doing Penguins with People Problems. And oh, here it is. It's such a funny little book, isn't it? Yes, I loved it. And so she did Parents, or, uh, Parents with People Problems for the Times briefly. So we also connected sort of much earlier in her career. And then Emma Straub is a wonderful lady to interview. Uh, has she been on Hashtag M Writing? She's actually never, I've never. That's kind of a funny one. I frequently run into these things where I'm like, well, I've never asked you to be on the podcast. And it's just this bizarre over. I actually had someone who was kind of mildly hurt that we'd never, and it just had never occurred either. A, I think in this case, the person seemed to me to be so busy that I would sort of not disturb them. I don't know. So it was kind of funny. But yeah, oddly, we've never asked Emma. And I will make sure to put the link to hashtag I'm writing in the show notes along with any of the books that we mention. And speaking of books, what are you currently reading? So I, I stacked them up back here, but I've, I've just really enjoyed The Boys by Katie Hafner. This is a strange book. Um, it's kind of funny because I, I tend not to be much of a reader of literary fiction, but all my stack this summer is, is on the sort of literary commercial line. Um, so this is a, a I can't even tell you other than to tell you that because there's like nothing to say about this that isn't in some way a spoiler, but it's really, it's really fun. And if you read the description and you're like, oh yeah, I think I would be there for that, then trust me that you would be there for it. So that's been really fun. Um, I've just started this, this, the change by uh, Kirsten Miller. So I can't, I can't, I don't know if she'll stick the landing. I'm hopeful because it's really, this one is uh, women who gain superpowers at menopause. So who, who wouldn't want to read that, right? I have you. Am I right? Absolutely. We're a force to be reckoned with. Exactly. Yeah. And then I'm really enjoying The Truth About Ben and June by Alex Keister. Um, this is a really an, an interesting take on the dual POV male, female, um, and the 
at just um, the ways that we change when we have kids and the ways that that changes our relationship. I really, I really like it a lot. As you were talking about that book, it kind of reminded me of the persona of In Her Boots. The Truth About Ben and June? Yeah, it seems to be right into what you're interested about, uh, what you write about. Yeah, because it's about it's about them seeing and they are both both Ben and June are really hiding a huge element of themselves in the uh, so it's a it's a really different book in terms of reading experience but you're right it's about the same thing. And is there a book that stands out as one you'd like to see more people reading apart from one of your own books? Oh, I was I was just thinking about my current reading but um a book that is stuck to me that I think didn't get half the attention that it deserved was the the other Bennett sister. I can't remember the author's name right offhand, but Janice Hedlow. Yeah, it's a it's a story of Mary Bennett, and it, so if you're a Pride and Prejudice person, which I definitely am, uh, and I love a good Pride and Prejudice take, and I will read all of them. And uh, the Murder of Mister Wickham is excellent, super fun, and a great summer read. But the other Bennett sister is almost. I mean, it's it's of the quality of like another modern Jane Austen book and it's thick and it's wonderful. And I'm sure you hate Mary Bennett because we all do. But then you read this and you learn why she is the way she is and she gets her own story and it's so good. And that one I'll put in the show notes too. KJ, it's been great chatting with you. I thoroughly enjoyed your book. Thank you. And let's hope Reese picks this one up too. Yeah, not not going to happen, but I would take it. <laughs> once is once is enough. Everybody gets everybody, you know, the more authors she can share with the world, the better. That's true. That's a great way of looking at it. Thank you for being a guest on the Bookshop Podcast. And I wish you all the best with your new novel, In Her Boots. Thank you. It was fun. It was really fun. I love getting to talk about books, too. You've been listening to my conversation with KJ Del Antonia talking about her new book, in her boots. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Mandy Jackson Beverly. And check out my website at MandyJacksonBeverly.com. And if you'd like to contribute to the coffee fund, go to thebookshoppodcast.brassprout.com, click on the little orange heart in the right-hand corner of the page, and you can donate using PayPal. Your contributions support the production and editing costs of the show. For information regarding sponsoring an episode, email thebookshoppodcast at gmail.com. The Bookshop Podcast is produced by Mandy Jackson Beverly. Theme music provided by Brian Beverly. Executive assistant to Mandy, Adrian Otterhan. And graphic design by Francis Varala. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.